Welcome back to another action-packed episode of the Deadly Podcast of Kung Fu, brought to you by the Villains Man, with myself, JVD, as I attempt to traverse the continuity of Marvel's most prolific martial artist in Iron Fist and Shang-Chi. If you want to talk about the comics, you want to talk about the podcast, or anything in general, especially the Shang-Chi movie, hit me up on Twitter, at Villains Man. Speaking of the movie... Shang-Chi and the Legends of the Ten Rings comes out this very weekend, so hopefully you'll go see that and support that movie. I'm very, very excited about it. I was very angry when Black Widow got pushed back and it took Shang-Chi's spot there in the beginning of July, but the movie is finally here. I'm pretty pumped. I've only watched the first trailer. Anytime I see anything on TV or if I see something online, I kind of avoid it. I'll hit mute, kind of scroll past. I really want to enjoy this movie got a lot of high hopes for it and uh, so far everything that we have seen looks pretty pretty awesome and there are a lot of people that are down on this movie they don't think that this is going to like make the cut but you got to remember James Gunn and Kevin Feige they took Guardians of the Galaxy and made it into something no one cared about the Guardians of the Galaxy except for like readers like myself right after the first Annihilation with Dan Abnett I picked up that Guardians series I never touched the old Guardian series, which takes place in the future of the 616, and I read that, man, and it was some awesome stuff, and I had no doubts if they really took those characters and they worked with them that they would be great, and it was. People loved Guardians of the Galaxy. Now, we had Ant-Man after that. People weren't looking high on Ant-Man. I was really worried about Ant-Man. Ant-Man was an awesome movie, so I have a lot of faith in this. Can't wait. I mean, it really looks like it's something... Straight out of Marvel meets Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Uh, pretty, pretty pumped for it. And uh, I, there are some things that I have said, much like I do think that uh, the Douglas Brothers will wind up being Razor Fist. It won't be the original Razor Fist. I stand by that. I kind of hope that that happens. And there's some surprises that me as a fan, especially for the reason I do this podcast, I want to see, uh, like, I, I want a reference to Kun Lun or to Iron Fist. Hell, I would really hope that Steel Serpent shows up in this little tournament, and Shang-Chi gets to fight him. That would be really cool. Just a nod to Iron Fist, so I'm pretty excited about it. But please, guys, this drops here on Wednesday. Thursday, tomorrow night, is the early premiere, and then it's here all weekend. So please, get out, see this movie, and support it, and uh, show Marvel that you want more of it, because obviously I do. And uh, I'm still debating if I'm going to do a review for the movie. I I'm trying to stick to the comics. So, um... If anybody out there wants one, just say so, and I'll, I'll drop a review for the movie. But um, today we're jumping back into Master of Kung Fu, issues number 22 through 25. This is the Shang-Chi trip to the Amazon, where uh, he and Sir Dennis Nayland Smith and Black Jar Tar are hunting down Fu Manchu and some Nazis. Yes, I said Nazis. you got to remember this is the mid-1970s, so Nazis are still a thing in comic books, and, uh, well, Shang-Chi's gonna get to tangle with some of them. It's a pretty little interesting, uh, little block, because we're taking Shang-Chi out of the city, and we're kind of getting him in a jungle-type aspect, and we've got a taste of that in the last block of Master of Kung Fu books that I covered, where Shang-Chi was in the Florida Everglades, and he ran into the Man-Thing. I will tell you now, there is no Man-Thing in this book. But uh, we, we, we get a bigger dose of that in this story. But without further ado, I'll go ahead and jump into issue 22, which is titled A Fortune of Death. 
back in New York City, Shang-Chi, which we don't find out how he gets away from Florida. We just know that he's back in New York City. But anyway, Shang-Chi enters a Chinese restaurant, is then seated in a private dining area. As he is served, he opens a fortune cookie that reads, A man very close to you will seek your death, Shang-Chi. That don't tell you anything right there, does it? Nah, didn't think so. But anyways, he's immediately attacked by an assassin. After a hard-fought battle, that sends the other customers fleeing. The waiters attack him, and it turns out they're all assassins, as will. If you didn't know by now, they are C-Fan assassins. After tossing the last one through the window out front, Sir Dennis Nayland Smith and Black Jartar arrive to see they are too late to warn Shang-Chi of his father's trap. Yes, Fu Manchu bought out this restaurant and put all of his assassins to work. They ask if he will aid them in infiltrating Fu Manchu's headquarters because they have learned that he is up to something dire. Shang-Chi declines and asks them to avoid the building because he himself is heading there immediately. Shang-Chi arrives at his father's HQ, sees it's Smith and Tar's car outside. As he sneaks in, he sees they have already been failed, they've already been captured, and now will become part of Fu Manchu's what he is calling his symbolic victory. Not wanting to cost the two their lives, he remains hidden and boards the flight craft that Fu Manchu loads them onto. Finally arriving at this unknown destination, Shang-Chi springs into action to save Smith and Tar before Fu Manchu can blow them and the cave system they are all in to pieces. As Smith looks outside the entrance, in which Shang-Chi threw the bottles of nitroglycerin through, he discovers the symbolic victory Fu Manchu was looking to achieve as he stares out at Mount Rushmore. So, a domestic terrorist attack by Fu Manchu. Once again, Shang-Chi got a job. Check the last block that I did on the episode up before this with Deadly Hands of Kung Fu. Shang-Chi got a job, made some money to make some food, but uh, this time he was loading crates. So hopefully, eventually, he'll keep a job, and he can buy a car, and he can stop n- hitching ninja rides on the back of bumpers. But um, the thing is, this Chinese food isn't for him. It's not authentic enough, and uh, he, he smells it. He thinks it smells great, but he thinks it tastes horrible. Um, it's kind of comical when he sees the fortune cookie, because he acts like he doesn't know what a fortune cookie is. I guess that makes sense. And um, the fact that when he reads it, and you know it's Fu Manchu, and to me, that just kind of shows you that Fu Manchu's got a sense of humor. That he's willing to directly write a note in a fortune cookie, and it's got to be in every fortune cookie. Because they're, they're, you know they're meant for Shang-Chi. No one else should be getting those. And uh, it's funny. I, I, I thought I got a good little chuckle out of that. But um, pretty, pretty nice little jab right there from uh, Fu Manchu. Like, hey, I'm about to kill you, and then the assassin attacks. Um... And that fight with this C-Fan assassin attacks him across the restaurant is pretty awesome. They go back and forth for a couple pages. Uh, during the fight, it's kind of funny. Shang-Chi grabs his spear off the wall, which is purely decorational. And he's very shocked to find that it's fake when it kind of crumbles in his hands. Uh, but in the end, he ends up using kitchen knives to defend himself. It kind of reminded me of something you'd see out of Kill Bill. It's really good. Um, and then, he, fortunately, uh, he well, he, he uses a ch- chandelier to swing himself forward and kick this dude, knock him out. And unfortunately, that didn't break either, which would have been even more funny. So this guy, uh, you, we look at his gauntlets and his sword, and uh, he kind of reminds me of Karain, back from the last block of Master of Kung Fu uh, that I did on the episode. Um, because he's kind of using a katana, he's got these bracers, it reminds me of a lot of that samurai. And... Uh, it, you figured 
and I know this is a different day and age, but you know, some references to Crane, like while Shang-Chi's fighting, like obviously he was trained by Crane. You know, there's a lot of references there that they could have made and tied, you know, some of these sea fan assassins to like master assassin Shang-Chi as well. Purely missed opportunity that I'd like to see more of. As for the group of what? For the fourth time, as for the group of waiters, I keep saying raiders and I keep having to edit. Moving on, none of them were a match except for one, the guy who ushered Shang-Chi into the building. And uh, he briefly fights our hero to a standstill. Uh, and then he comically gets thrown on top of a dish cart and pushed through the front window of the building. Um, for the end, uh, with the, uh, in the battle, when Fu Manchu, uh, in Mount Rushmore, when Shang-Chi gets the jump on the sea fan assassins, you figured he'd go after Fu Manchu first. Like, you stop his father, you cut the head off the snake, it, it's done. But instead, he just jumps at the assassins, and maybe because he needed to save, uh, Tar and Smith first, but here's the thing. Fu Manchu took a torch and lit a line of gunpowder that was a trail to all the explosives. If he would have just stopped Fu Manchu, it would have never went off and he would have never been in dire straits trying to put it out while fighting off assassins. It would have been a lot easier, but we wouldn't have got the issue 20, 125 in the series if that happened. Uh, let's go ahead and uh, take a little break here. I'm going to get me a little drinky drink. You know, a little parch because I got three more issues to cover. But I'm going to hear a word from our sponsors before we continue on into the River of Death. And welcome back to the Deadly Podcast of Kung Fu with JVD here as we continue on with Master of Kung Fu. Number 23 and number 24. I'm going to sum both of these issues up together because they are a two-part story. With number 23 being the River of Death. And number 24 being the Massacre along the Amazon. Uh... And even number 25 ties into this, but it takes place immediately afterwards. Um, so it, it's not part of the story with the Nazis, but it, it does take place immediately after. But I am going to cover these two issues together. So Shang-Chi is approached by Smith and Tar to join him on a trip to the Amazon River to prevent Fu Manchu from meeting with a former high-ranking Nazi named Willem Busher, who has a weapon of mass destruction. Upon arrival, we meet Raymond Strawn, who's to take them to the Nazi hideout along the river. But there's a problem. He has a strong hatred of Asians, and he immediately begins to turn his hate towards Shang-Chi, despite Sir Nalan Smith's pleas that he can be trusted. This leads our hero to traveling along the river on foot. Hours down the river, the boat is ambushed by Seafan assassins. In a psychotic rage, Strawn begins opening fire on them as Smith is knocked into the water. Drawing the attention of a nearby alligator, he almost becomes lunch until Shang-Chi dives in from a tree branch to fight the animal off. As he and Smith aboard the boat, they find Strawn has shot and killed every assassin, which he took great pleasure in achieving and also discusses our heroic trio. Drawing closer to Fu Manchu's boat, Strawn once again becomes unhinged and opens fire to give away their advance. Unknown to everyone aboard, Shang-Chi has already dove into the river to ambush the crew on the ship. After finding out from the leader that Fu Manchu has traveled by air, Strawn reveals himself to actually be Willem Busher as his boat arrives and opens fire on Shang-Chi. 
To save himself, he dives back into the river to escape, but not without being shot in the air before breaching the water. So yes, our hero has finally taken a bullet. In issue 24, we find Shang-Chi has survived and found a small army of sci-fi assassins marching through the Amazon rainforest. And when the moment is right, he quietly takes out the last man in line, dons his outfit, and takes up the rear as if nothing happened. Meanwhile, Fu Manchu finds Busher's base, which the Nazis see his helicopter begin preparing for the upcoming battle once their leader finally arrives. As night falls, a shootout happens between both factions as Shang-Chi begins to take out one assassin and hunting down the weapon of mass destruction. Well laid out plans begin to fall in place leading to the death of the sea fan and the capture of Fu Manchu. That's a big surprise considering how clever Fu Manchu is. Before Busher can kill the mastermind himself, Shang-Chi leaps down to save his father but finds himself surrounded by Nazis. To his surprise, Smith and Tar arrive with guns a-blazing. Busher then throws a knife into Shang-Chi's shoulder as he escapes, but gives our hero time to pursue him into the makeshift missile silo. The Nazi leader goes to launch the nuke, only to find that Shang-Chi has already defused the missile. In a fit of rage, Busher attempts to climb to the top of the warhead, but falls to his death. As Shang-Chi meets up with Smith and Tar, the trio discovers Fu Manchu has escaped during the chaos. So I did something different for these notes here. Um, I did not give you the origin of Willem Busher because it gives away too much for the story. Um, as soon as we meet Raymond Strawn and we see how much he hates Shang-Chi, it goes into Willem Busher's origins, which we find out that during World War II, he's one of Hitler's right-hand men and was tasked to deliver these secret documents to a Japanese bunker. And uh, while he was there, it was bombarded by the uh, U.S., and he got trapped underneath some rubble, and this Japanese officer was there with him. Instead of helping him, he ran and saved his own skin. And ever since, Wilhelm Busher survived and has hate Asians. For the fact that he hates Shang-Chi to his face, and then there's an origin, it's a dead giveaway that Strawn is actually William Busher in disguise. It's a dead giveaway, and I didn't want to give that away during the story, because I figured it just kind of falls flat in the breakdown if you learn all that up front um and the thing is even though shang chi is chinese it makes no difference to busher he just hates asians and he and this comes to truth because when he meets shang chi he realizes that he's chinese and he says it doesn't make a difference to him it's all the same so it doesn't matter if he was korean or anything you know he's still going to hate him because obviously he's asian um now let's talk about this missile silo i know he climbed to the top of the missile to remotely set off the warhead just so it would explode. But you like how tall is this missile in this book? Because if he falls to his death, so like was it like fifty foot tall? I mean it would have to be pretty tall for him to actually fall to his death and die on impact. And, and that kind of just threw me off a little. Um also, how does Shang Chi knows how to defuse a nuke? Um if if you've watched the new uh, Godzilla vs. Kong you learn that simply pouring liquid on a control panel would diffuse anything, and there's plenty of water around there by the Amazonian River. Um, so how does he know to do that? He, we don't ever see any training from all that. We just know that he's an assassin trained in all types of martial arts. Well, I guess I say this, I go to think back that he did diffuse some torpedoes not too long ago. So maybe in his assassin training, he did learn how to diffuse bombs. 
or and maybe he knows how to wire them if necessary. So maybe we'll see some of that in the uh, future. Uh, also, some crazy stuff. Last block of Master of Kung Fu, Shang-Chi fought off a bull shark. And in this block, he actually fights off a large alligator, both underwater. Pretty crazy stuff for the Master of Kung Fu. Um, how impressive is that? You know, that he fights off a bull shark, and then he fights off a giant alligator. Um, and what I don't get is he does not use the weight of the water to his advantage for his strikes against the alligator like he did the bull shark. But then again, that might have to do something with the difference in the animals, because obviously, uh, we know an alligator's pretty much got, you know, really thick hide. You know, some bullets, like, won't even penetrate a alligator's hide. And we know that he had to hit it in its belly to get it to surface, where he was actually hitting the shark in the eyes and the gills. So, still, he knows anatomy of animals, and I think that's pretty cool. Um, also, in this adventure is the only time we have actually seen Shang-Chi really, really get hurt. He actually gets hit by a bullet. Uh, Wilhelm Busher hits him in with a bullet, and then he throws a knife at him and stabs him in the shoulder at the finale of 24. What's crazy, it's in the same arm. So this kind of just goes to show you um, his master over his pain. Like, he can mentally block it out and continue on, but what don't make any sense is, for one, he's, he's always in the Amazon River. No piranha gets him. Uh, he doesn't get any little parasites. And then traveling through the jungle, he, the wound stays clean. And what's odd is when we hit 24 after he gets shot, it's almost as if the bullet never hit him. Like, there's no mention of it. Uh, there's no him patching a wound, though we clearly see him get shot at the end of 23. Um, I don't know, maybe he's a cleric like in D&D &D and was just like, boom, heal wounds, and it was gone. Um, what's more surprising than him getting hurt is the fact that Fu Manchu actually got captured. And his C5 uh, assassins were defeated by a group of Nazis in a shootout. Maybe that was a problem. They, they, there was a shootout instead of a brawl. So, maybe that was the issue there. But finally, his overconfidence is caught up to him. And the fact that he decided to be near the battlefield actually caught, almost cost him his life. And what's crazier is he manages to slip away unnoticed at the end. So, um, he seems to do that really well when uh, Sir Dennis Nayland Smith and Black Jack Tar are around. Like the, uh, the, the ambush of the... Uh, trucks not too long ago that they did i think that was the last block of master of kung fu so um nice little neat story here and and, and, the, and the sad thing is you know we're talking nazis and we're talking the time frame here man why couldn't these guys be tied to red skull i mean some continuity there to like really mainstream marvel would have been really really nice here but once again we're uh, staying away from all that and the shang chi and iron fist stories so, um, let's go ahead and move on to uh, issue 25, which is called Rites of Courage, Fist of Death. This takes place right after these events um, in 23 and 25. Looking to get back to their play, Shang-Chi, Smith, and Tar have traveled to the jungle by foot after their boat has ran out of gas. And obviously, this is a boat that they've taken from Butcher's hideout. As Fu Manchu flies overhead by helicopter, knowing that now he has survived... Shang-Chi sneaks off to the jungle by himself to investigate a sound he heard in the distance. What he finds is a crying baby about to be devoured by a jaguar. Managing the ward off the hungry animal without any harm, Shang-Chi finds that he has been snuck upon by an 
an indigenous tribe of the Amazon, who are angered that he saved a child. After stopping their most enraged tribesmen among them from killing the infant, another one of the tribesmen gestures that he should follow them into the jungle. Arriving at their village, he finds one of the sea fan assassins has been captured. Shang-Chi learns from him that he was chosen by Fu Manchu to lead the expedition through the Amazon because he knew the language of the tribe, which he calls the Javaro. The assassin then informs him that the woman desperately wanting her child back had the infant on a night of a, no, no, a new moon. So to them, it was a night of no moon. Being superstitious, and they think the moon is now gone, they offered the baby as a sacrifice, and that now Shang-Chi has violated that ritual. By doing so, he has divided the tribe, some seeing him as an interloper, and others view Shang-Chi as a messenger from the gods. To prove which is true, he must run a gauntlet laid out by the angry tribesmen from earlier, who we have learned is a rival to the chief. First, he must walk across hot coals in which he cannot scream nor drop the baby. Next, he must run through the angry tribesmen as they beat him with clubs and he cannot once again drop the baby. So he survives the first one. As he runs through the second one, all the tribesmen in the gauntlet attack the child and not Shang-Chi. This makes him angry and he decides to take them out with his martial arts. Proving himself sets the rival off and he decides then to kill the tribe's chief. And then on orders, the other tribesmen attack him. After defeating them and returning the baby to her mother, the rest of the tribe believe that he is not a messenger from the gods, but is a god himself. Using this belief to his advantage, Shang-Chi has a sea fan assassin freed, and both of them travel through the jungle to discuss what either is to do when they get back to safety. The assassin, being loyal and fanatic to Fu Manchu, decides to try to kill Shang-Chi and only finds himself plummeting off a cliff. Eventually, Shang-Chi finds his way back to the plane where Smith and Tar had no doubts that he survived the jungle by himself. So this is very different from anything we've got from Shang-Chi so far, and I really, really enjoyed this because it's not sci-fi assassins, you know, it's not Fu Manchu, it's him dealing with nature um, and, you know, not really ignorance, but, you know, indigenous belief, which is a thing that still happens to these days in certain protected part of the world. Last books, he fought off this alligator in the water, and then, like I had mentioned, he had fought off a shark in the water before that. Now he's fighting a freaking jaguar in its natural habitat. It's... <laughs> just goes to show you how badass Shang-Chi is. And uh, who needs Graven the Hunter, right? you got Shang-Chi. Shang-Chi don't need no special jungle herbs to enhance him physically. I mean, he's beating these creatures by himself. And not only is he beating by them by himself, he's beating them with a bullet hole in his arm, a stab wound in his arm, and who knows what other types of diseases he's trying to fight off. And, uh... Really, this story tells you the, how mentally focused he can be to ignore pain. Now, think about what I just said. First, he got shot. Then, he, he goes through the fight at William Busher's hideout, which he gets stabbed. Then, he has to travel through the jungle. And then, he fights off a jaguar. Then, he walks over hot coals. He gets willingly beat by tribesmen and then fights them off. I mean, to ignore all that pain is a pretty epic feat, in my opinion. 
So the final fight with these tribesmen is not really nothing to talk about, but there is a very badass moment with Shang-Chi here. One of them throws a knife and he catches it in his mouth, and then he bites the part in his teeth off, and then breaks it over the dude's head. It's pretty crazy, you know. So how strong is Shang-Chi's teeth? You know, that he can actually take a bite out of a knife blade. But then again, it's an indigenous tribe. It's probably not that well made, but it's still a pretty cool Bruce Lee type moment to look at. I really, really enjoyed it. But that'll wrap up this block for uh, the Masters of Kung Fu series issues 22 through 25. It's a nice little good breakaway from the city stuff that we usually see Shang-Chi involved in. So I, I enjoyed it, which I'm enjoying all of this stuff. But, uh... As I wrap this up, remember guys, it is Shang-Chi and the Legends of the Ten Rings weekend. Please go see this movie and support it. And, you know, show people that it's not going to be this failure that people are thinking it's going to be. It's actually probably going to be really, really good. And I hope I don't have to eat these words come, you know, next week during these recordings. But anyways, I'm JVD. You can follow me at Dylan's Man on Twitter if you want to talk. You can also check me out over on the Fictional Battle Podcast Crossover Collision with the Professor Evan and Grape. But if you like to build this man, check us out on Facebook. Check us out on Instagram. You can find us on Twitter. Over at TVD Podcast, we will post all the podcasts under the Villains Demand banner over there. And some more stuff, some other podcasts that you might enjoy. But um, if you like my music, you can check out Rushing Tiger by Kubero over on SoundCloud. I'm sure he would really, really appreciate that if you did so. If you're on Podchaser, check us out over on the Inner Circle. You can find both the Deadly Podcast of Kung Fu and Crossover Collision there. Wherever you listen, if you can leave a rating, I'd really appreciate it. I don't care if you like it. I don't care if you dislike what you hear. Let me know. I, and Let me know what I can improve on. If you're on social media, please like and share the episodes where you see them. I'd really appreciate it. But in the end, guys, remember, support your favorite podcast. Support your local comic book shops. Go see Shang-Chi and the Legends of the Ten Rings this weekend. And keep reading comics, guys. Oh!